happened after, which was most important. What did I do once at 22? I was arrested. I did have to take a hard look at my addictions, not just physical addictions, all of the addictions, the emotional addictions, which lead to the physical. So that journey, it took, um, it took 14 years for me to start to write this book. And, it, and I wrote it in 2020. So it was the perfect mm -hmm. time to write. I had 10 months and I wrote the book during 2020. Um, and yeah, so it's really my story of, you know, the recognized trauma that I had when I was a child and how that played a role into my adulthood and how that played a role into addiction. And now we know today that that is the cause of addiction. Welcome to the With Sayada podcast, brought to you by the Center for Belonging and Understanding. The podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter. This is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others. I'm your host, author and coach Sayada Zaidi, and every episode I'll be asking a new guest to share their story. Today's guest is Jessie Harless. Jessie is a leader in the trauma-informed healing, addiction recovery, and mental health space. His passion is to help ambitious, heart-centered leaders and purpose-driven organizations clear obstacles out of their path and live in alignment with their highest potential. Jessie is the author of two best-selling books, including the amazing If Not You, Then Who?, he has a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling and is a HeartMath certified trainer. Jesse is based in New Hampshire in America. And he says, my purpose is to use passion, authenticity and intuition to help others genuinely express their unique stories and strengths in a loving and powerful way. So today I have got um, Jesse Harless as my guest and it's a real gift for me. Um, one of the things that I would like to share um, before Jesse comes in is that a couple of weeks ago, um, Jesse led a uh, resilience training for the community that we met in and that's the exchange community and my my own kind of experience of that was I'll, I'll be honest with you I'd had a long day um I was in the middle of a five days of conference I think it was the third day and I really did not know if I was going to attend this or not so I went downstairs sat on my sofa for a few minutes and in my head I was just thinking do I need to attend another resilience training and somehow the answer was yes and what a gift it was because there were so many different ways of unpacking that session. But for me, one of the most powerful statements that and it still kind of, you know, reverberates within me when I say it out loud is you cannot do your purpose alone. And Jesse, I think you kind of said it as a little bit of a kind of off the cuff statement. And I was just like, I mean, literally, it was like my whole world crashed because I wanted to focus in on that. 
So Jesse, welcome. And I would love you to just speak a little bit more about that whole idea of you cannot do your purpose alone. Yeah, thanks so much, Saida. It's great to be here with you. And yeah, thank you so much for your uh, com- comments about the the resilience workshop. I'm glad that you you felt that way about it. Um, I I guess what I meant was there's um, I guess I get to, you get to a point in your life and you realize that you're doing you're doing everything yourself. Like, and that's what I started to realize this year myself is, is I was, I was really using a lot of my own heart and mind to really make everything happen instead of asking for help. So I think, I think that's what I mean by that is like, we need to ask for help and that will help us to fulfill our, you know, our purpose, our divine purpose. I really do believe we, um, we do it in collaboration. We cannot do it alone. And I mean, we can get far, but I don't think we can go the whole way. Mm. And, and as you're speaking, the thing that comes to my mind is um, Charlie Mackesy, who's the author of one of the most amazing books about um, mental health and, and so many other things. One of the things that, that he says is, um, uh, what is the bravest thing you've ever said? Help. Love that. And it's kind of making me then ask, um, so when you're when you're not doing your purpose alone, who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with and and what are their qualities? Well, what's really important is that I can be around people who are living from their authentic self. And when I say authentic self, what I mean is they can share their emotions, they can share their feelings, they can share their pain, they can share their desires, their desires to want more, their desires to be their their best self. So that's the people that I try to surround myself with is people who are are striving to be their best selves, even if it's someone that I'm coaching personally. Those are the people that I want to work with because that shows me that they're, let's say, a future-based person. They're, they're looking towards the future instead of the past. They're looking towards the future to have something greater than what they have now. And it's not that they're trying to escape their current reality. They just know that there's something even more for them. And maybe because of emotional injuries or trauma or you know stuff that happened to them in the childhood or in the past, they're playing smaller than they could be. And I think that that's totally okay as long as we're just willing to learn about that. And those are the people I love to surround myself with, the people who are willing to learn more about fear, to learn more about love, and to learn more about what's going on with them and how can we help to see our blind spots together so that we can mm. ultimately be more successful together. Mm. And, that, and I love what you say about blind spots because I think that um, – that is a real area of growth. I mean, there's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with the concept of playing with your strengths and kind of using them a little bit more and, and identifying areas of weakness and trying to work out, well, how do you build your relationship with them? And, and I'm also using these words of strength and weakness kind of quite loosely. Um, but there is something about kind of delving into that place of, of being in the unknown where there are blind spots and kind of exploring how unpacking some of that stuff might actually enable even more growth. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the, that's the heaviest work to do here on this earth, in my opinion. There's nothing heavier than doing that work where you're discovering your blind spots because it's painful. And you don't, no one wants to know their blind spots. That's why they're blind spots. Because once we know what they are, then we have to work on them or not work on them. And then live in, a, in a, live in a manner that we're living unconscious. We're living in a way that like, we know they're there, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna look at them. And you know, that can lead to all kinds of ways of numbing out addictive behaviors. So I think, I think the, the, the best thing we can do is really start to ask ourselves like, wow, maybe there's things I don't know and, and stay open to evolution and stay open to um, an evolution of learning. And, and learning about ourselves and how we operate. And because if we don't like, you know, it's been said thousands of times in the past, but if we really don't master ourselves and really know what's going on with ourselves, I mean, can we honestly work and help other people to get there and to do it themselves? I'm not sure. I think that we really ourselves need to realize that by us seeing these blind spots and working towards how do we numb out? What are our emotional addictions? What are we doing to keep ourselves stuck in a loop? And once we can figure that out for ourselves, we really can help other people to see that same thing. And I think that's why, yeah, it can take a lifetime, but it doesn't have to. Yeah. And and it's interesting because I always, in in my work as a coach, um, there's an expectation that I have some sort of, you know, magical skills or something like that. And that I've done my own work, but actually I, I believe I'm a work in progress. We're all works in progress. And that piece that you speak about in terms of self-awareness, that is the hardest, but also the most rewarding work that you can do. Yeah, 100%. In my opinion, it is the most rewarding work you can do because that's really where I've had the most growth, the most pain, the most all of it. And I think that's the most rewarding because on the other side of that is not more pain. It's actually more joy. I I couldn't have said it better myself. And, uh, and it's that kind of, you know, going through some of those challenges to get to that place of joy. And um, so, so tell me a little bit about your book. I mean, I, you've written a couple of books, but the, the one that I know you for is If Not You, Then Who? And that was your most recent one. And what led you to the journey of writing that particular book in the moment when you did? Well, I mean, that, this is a book that's been in me for probably 10 years. It's one of those books that I thought about 10 years ago um, which was, it was just my story of my childhood into teenagehood, into my early twenties when I fell into hardcore opioid and alcohol addiction. So I really wanted to be able to tell that story because it was so extreme, um, at the end of what happened, you know, like some people are like, Hey, I need to quit my drug and alcohol, um, use, I need to start working on my trauma or whatever. And they, and then maybe they go into rehab or they, you know, there's an intervention and that's not what happened to me. I was arrested by federal agents. <laughs> so there was some crazy story that I really wanted to tell people um, that that was my bottom. And, you know, you don't have to hit bottom by the way, either to start fixing your problems um, or I would say, you know, um, working on your problems, but um I wanted to be able to tell that story and then what happened after, which was most important. What did I do once at 22? I was arrested. I did have to take a hard look at my addictions, not just physical addictions, all of the addictions, the emotional addictions, which lead to the physical. So that journey, it took um, 
it took 14 years for me to start to write this book. And, it, and I wrote it in 2020. So it was the perfect mm -hmm. time to write. I had 10 months and I wrote the book during 2020. Um, and yeah, so it's really my story of, you know, the recognized trauma that I had when I was a child and how that played a role into my adulthood and how that played a role into addiction. And now we know today that that is the cause of addiction the core pain, the traumas that happen early on, the pain that we carry, that's why we numb out with physical addictions. And so it's these emotional injuries, these traumas that happen early on that really lead to us to continue to numb out later on, whether that's with food, sex, alcohol, social media, codependency, so many different things. So so um, this book is just my story of that, but most importantly, half the book is a toolkit. So half the book is literally dedicated to action of what actions you can take as a reader to start to live towards your highest version of yourself. That's what it's about. So it's not like, you know, oh, step one, stop your addiction of choice. That's not what it is. It's literally like, okay, first step, get a daily to-do list and a planner, write it down. What are your recovery actions today? And your recovery actions could be like, prayer. It, your recovery actions could be yoga. It, your recovery actions could be go for a walk in nature. Um, so it's really practical. And it's not just for people who are deemed alcoholics and addicts. It's for everyone, because I truly believe that every person is an addict and people don't like to hear that. But it's true at some level, if we think about emotional addictions, because everyone has those. A lot of people are addicted to anger. In fact, that was a big one for me. And that was a big one that ran through my family. So that anger will lead to the numbing out behaviors of the physical addiction. So this book is really just my journey, my story with a dedicated toolkit that helped me along my journey. It's 30 action steps. So it's not a, this isn't a walk in the park. I mean, this book can take you a year to work through, or it could take you a month of really dedicated work. Uh, yeah. And I, and I love it because I think the, the thing that really appeals to me about the book is that you document your lived experience, but you also share lessons and that people can do. And I think there's, there's two really important things in there for me. One is the sharing of stories. And that's really why I started this podcast, because I kind of um, eventually surrendered to the fact that I am an autoethnographer and an ethnographer. And I really like helping people to share their stories so that we can draw the lessons out of it. But if you just do that piece about sharing the story and there's no takeaways or there's no action steps, then it's a great experience, but there's a missed opportunity there. And, and that kind of, um, in some ways, leads me to then ask you, what was the, the biggest kind of lesson that, or even the biggest surprise that you had in your own personal journey? Um, of writing the book or just in, in general? In general. <laughs> well, oh man, there's so many. I mean, there's so many that happened this year. I mean, uh, this year alone, I've had amazing surprises that have led to tremendous healing and growth. So I've dedicated my life to being on this journey of healing. And that is, it's easy to say that, <clears throat> but when you're actually in it, it's, it's, it's very difficult, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to dedicate myself to 
feel my feelings and go all the way with healing parts of me that are still playing out in addictions, like emotional addictions. So I'm, I'm willing to try to discover all of those and try to do that so that when I'm working with others, I can see that in them. I can look at them and talk to them and be like, oh, and intuitively I can pick this up. Now that's something I've kind of dedicated my life to. I, I got a master's in clinical mental health counseling back and started in 2012 and finished in 2016 because I thought I was going to be a therapist. And what ended up happening was I realized that I really wanted to be more of like a holistic coach of like taking mm -hmm. those therapeutic lessons and with all those clients that I work with during that time and really bring it to a level of personal empowerment instead of just being um, therapeutic, which you can do both. But um, that's, I guess, what I've done. And I've, and I've learned from different teachers to do that. So my life is literally dedicated full time to healing. That's the easiest way I can say that. And, and healing is, is, is multifaceted. It's, it's, there's multiple layers of a human. So this is on every plane, physical, mental, spiritual, um, emotional plane. And so that's, that's, that's what I've done. So this year has been a big year for that because after you release a book, which is when you start to get creative and you start to tune into your creativity, which I believe is connected to God, I believe it's connected to something greater that actually ends up allowing you to get to your next piece of work. Mm -hmm. So once I released the book, I had huge breakthroughs. And so, because once I got that out of me, something else was being born. And that was the next phase of my healing to be able to write the next piece of work, which I had no idea that was going to happen. I thought I was going to release the book and spend all my time promoting it, all my time where I thought for the next two years, it was just going to be about that book. And no, as soon as it was released, the next book started to be born, the next wave of my healing, the next wave of disruption to my peace so that I can go even deeper into the greater depths of healing started. And I love how you're describing that because actually that's my own experience as well in terms of um, writing a book in the pandemic, you know, results of the arts and science of getting it done, getting it out there and having kind of like mapped out expectations or thoughts about what the world was going to look like and then literally being completely surprised about what then happened. And I think um, the, the way that I describe what you've shared is that, you know, there's all these programs that are waiting somewhere to be downloaded. And it's like, you know, you download one, you've used it, you played a game, and then you're waiting for the next one to come. And there is uh, an element, I think, for me about surrendering to those feelings and the healing that is necessary and doing the work so that you can get through whatever is there in order to be able to produce that work. Otherwise, speaking for myself, I remain stuck. And one can only be in that stuck mode for so long without it causing quite serious kind of challenges to you and your ability to then be able to unpack that. Yeah, well said, exactly. Yeah, mm. and I think that's the greatest thing with people is that when they hear me talk about writing my second book and working on my third, they're like, I can't write a book. That's your addiction. And this is what I'm talking about. This is that voice that says, I can't do that. Why? Because you feel you're not good enough. 
And so this is what I mean is like, as we go out and we create, and we don't worry about what people are going to think about us, which is just something that is, I don't know if that's ever healed completely. Maybe it is, but the reality is when you put your work into the world, you are tested on every front. You feel so vulnerable when you do this, especially with the story, like your book too, sharing all the story, the backstory, and then sharing what is so something that I wouldn't share unless we were close friends. I shared that in the book. And so to put that out there and wait for the results of that, I had to do a lot of work on myself just to be like, yeah, you know what? That's okay. Whatever people think, I won't abandon myself no matter what. And then be able to then go to the next work and do that the same thing. A lot of people don't get there because they say to themselves, I'm not a writer. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. Mm-hmm. And so even just listen to this, people who are listening might be challenged by what they're hearing because they're like, well, these people are so successful. They have a book written. I was not a writer. I didn't spend time writing. I was the opposite of the writer. I was just a reader. I love to read. I love to watch uh, documentaries. And then one day I just decided to write, you know? And so anyone can do it. It's just a matter of getting through those voices that are saying that. I completely agree with you. Like, I mean, I, I enjoy writing. I never knew that it was within me to produce a book that would then go on and be published. Like, that's just kind of, that's something that somebody else does, you know. And I think that uh, just to really echo what you're saying, if if somebody's got a project that they want to work on or something that they want to produce and they keep saying that they're not capable of doing it, there's a number of different options available to them. One is counselling, one is therapy, and one is even deeper work, you know. And I love the way that you describe that even the messages that we give to ourselves is language that we've become addicted to. Because I I completely concur with what you're saying. Everyone is addicted to something, you know. If you're waiting for the ping to go off on your phone, you're addicted to your mobile phone, you know. And, And every one of us has some degree of an addiction to phones just because of how... And we are with society these days. So there's a, there's a huge amount of work to be done there. Um, let, let me ask you, like, you are so busy doing so many different things. What does Jesse Harless do to kind of increase levels of energy and to really come in and, and be able to be present? Well, I think like, the biggest thing for me is routines. I don't have a, a lot of people hate routines. And when they start to hear this, they're going to be like running for the hills as I say this. But the reality is I didn't have routines. So I was the, even though I had it in my nature to maybe be routine oriented, I wasn't that way. I had to become that way. And it's not even like, it's not even torture, but for me to, to really have maximal energy, it's to have some type of routine when I wake up, and sometimes a routine during the day and some type of routine at night. And people go, I nope, that's uh, not for me, but hear me out. What I'm saying is when I get up, I already know what I'm going to be doing. And that's what gives me a peace of mind because I know what I'm going to do with the first 30 minutes of my day, maybe even an hour. I already know what I'm going to do. And what that's going to look like is a morning routine of stretching, drinking water. Um, it's going to be some processing emotions. It's going to be some um, meditation and mindfulness. It's going to be journaling. It's going to be reading from a book. It's going to be writing down the things I'm grateful for. It's going to be writing what I love and appreciate about myself. And it's going to be about setting my intentions. 
I know I'm going to do this before my day starts every day. And so there's some peace of mind to know even before when I'm going to bed that I'm going to do that when I wake up. So that right there is setting me up for energy. And so during the day, how I, you know, I wouldn't say I have a routine during the day, but I have ways to reset because during the day we're going to get upset. We're going to get triggered. Someone's going to bother us. I don't, I've never met any human, very rare. Do I meet a human that doesn't get triggered at some point during the day? So um, you know, what do you do when that happens? So like, so that's when you use these self-regulation techniques. And some of these I do share in my book, but there's so many you can find on Google, YouTube, and find ways to self-regulate yourself. And so like the, one of the ways I reset myself is sometimes depending on what it is and what happened, I might just rest for a few minutes. I might just sit on a rock outside and just breathe in and look up at the sky and take some deep breath and might say to myself, like, uh, you know, I'm triggered right now, but I'm really grateful that I didn't abandon myself. I'm grateful that I, I'm just grateful for this day and that I'm actually alive and I can breathe. And so like, that's a reset. And, and I might actually practice some deep breathing. So I might take 10 to 20 focused breaths into the body. So I'm really literally thinking, imagining my body taking the breaths. So I, so, so those are the ways that I reset during the day. And then at night I have a nighttime routine, which also helps to help me to wind down. And so for some, this might not sound attractive, but you have to understand, I didn't have any of this. I was just kind of waking up, going about my day, letting all types of caffeine addiction and all these things run my day. And then, and then I would try to fall asleep watching TV. And then I'd like maybe read a book and I try to pass out. But what I find is when I have some type of routine in my life, I'm, I'm able to bring in more energy and more peace. And I'm able to create, actually. It helps me create because during those times of the routine, I often have big insights. I often have downloads that can go into the next book or to help that coaching client that I'm going to work with or bring into the facilitation I'm going to do that day. And I will share it. That's the beautiful thing is like when I get something like a download, I'm going to share that. And so I, I just, it's just being in congruence with yourself and so that's, that's what really helps me to preserve my energy. Yes, of course, I have some things I do, like I might do cold therapy. So I, I, might, I might take a cold shower or jump into the ocean or, but, you know, I don't have, the ocean's not too close. So like the easiest way is to take a cold shower and you can start with a warm shower. You can process emotions in that warm shower and then you can clean up, but then you could you can end it cold or you can take an extended cold shower. And, and if you're not sure about how that helps, that, that has been around for a very long time, that therapy, way before we had modern medicine and all this stuff. So, so you can look at the powerful effects of hydrotherapy. It's been around since the Greeks and way before that, way before. So, so that's um, something that might help to bring energy. I also really look at nutrition you know, functional nutrition or integrative nutrition, very, very important. You know, like for instance, today I've decided that I'm going to, I'm going to just juice today. And I haven't done that in a little while. And I used to do that a lot. So I'm like, okay, you know what, today I'm going to just, I'm just going to juice. A, I, I have some specific juices I love. And I shared one of those, two of them in the book, I think, but, but I have juices that I'm going to go to that I enjoy. So these are the ways that I, I continually harness energy. And I also do this with certain relationships. Some relationships drain energy and some relationships bring out more energy. So I also am intentional about, okay, this relationship today will bring more energy into my day. So I'm going to hang around with that person for a while and this person could drain my energy. So I just need to make sure that during that interaction, I'm being very, very conscious of my body 
and seeing mm-hmm. what checking in with my body. And then when I leave that relationship to then go and take care of myself, do some self-care, let me reprocess, reprogram, let me, you know, bring back energy again. You've just kind of given such an enormous number of, of wonderful tips in there. And um, uh, just kind of coming back to the, the cold therapy thing, I think that also helps with them um, reducing inflammation, doesn't it? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's funny because when people hear this, they're going to be like, well, let me, let me see the studies on that. And it's like, there are studies on it now. Well, There there are, but they're so limited. So it's like, it's all anecdotal, but when you have a hundred to a thousand anecdotal stories, you don't need peer reviewed studies anymore. So yes, it does reduce inflammation as one of the big things. Yeah. And, And I think the thing for me is, is with a researcher hat on, as well as a practitioner hat on, actually, I think anecdotal stories are really important, which is why for me, the documentation of lived experience is significant to the research that I want to do because one can go out and and kind of research and do studies and all of this other stuff but actually if you don't listen to real people speaking about what's going on for them you're missing a huge kind of um uh, source of evidence yeah to me it's it's everything it's more important than the peer-reviewed studies in my opinion yeah yeah and one other thing that came up for me um was was you describe something about how you appreciate you you check in and you you write down what you appreciate and love about yourself and for me it was really interesting how you described it because sometimes what we do is we we uh, i and others that i've seen teach these things write down what they appreciate about others or they love about others but they don't kind of put that mirror to themselves and look at what is it you appreciate about who you are. So I just wondered if you just share a little bit more about how you do that. Yeah. So I I touch upon that briefly um, in the book is about, you know, writing down what you love and appreciate about yourself. Like I learned this from a mentor. Like I didn't know this stuff. Like I learned it from a mentor to do that. And, you know, it's like, well, what's the point? I can just live my life. Why do I have to write that down? But the reality is you have inside of you a child. You have inside of you this childlike person that just wants to play, that just wants adventure, that just wants joy and love. And that part of you is your core self. And if you're not actually spending time with that part of you, you're actually abandoning that part of you. And you're playing the adult, the serious adult. But here's the thing is, the more you abandon that part of yourself, the more addictions you will pick up. Mm. This is the fact. So, yeah. and I mean emotional addictions too. Anger, unworthiness, not being good enough, which lead to caffeination, technology addiction. So, yes, writing down what I love and appreciate about myself or just spending time to really think about who you are, what are your strengths, it, it does make a difference because it makes that part of you, that's that child, really excited and to say, yay, well, what can we do with this? And it's like, well, we can maybe go on an adventure or we could create that, that painting or we can write that book or create that song or we, you know what I mean? So we can, we can go out and get healthy. You know, these, mm-hmm. these things that happen when we start to realize our self-worth and that's why we write down these things we love and appreciate about ourselves because it's easy to want to just caretake. That's another addiction, caretaking. 
So it's easy mm. to want to take care of all the people around you, but we have to take time for ourselves because those people that we're caretaking, they can feel when you're not, they feel it. It's an energy. They feel you're not taking care of yourself. So it's really important even by ser- to serve others, you want to take time to realize like, oh, you know what? I'm so grateful to be alive and I'm so grateful that I, I have arms and I'm so grateful I can breathe and I am so grateful that... I am artistic or I'm a good cook or whatever that is. What do you love and appreciate about yourself? I literally get it down to the cellular level. I'll be like, I love and appreciate my cells. I love and appreciate my bones. Like I will say that because I really do because those cells are working so hard to keep mm-hmm. me healthy. Keep me whole. So, so it's, you can get, you can get visceral with this and really start to get that deep because I think that's how deep we need to go to realize that that's who we are. And yeah, and it's funny because as you're speaking, I'm kind of like reminded of once where um, I, I almost sliced the top of my thumb off. And it sounds so silly, but I hadn't realized how important a thumb is, you know, just in day-to-day activities. And I mean, it, it, gosh, it took a couple of months for it to recover and things. But the reason I say that is because as I'm saying this out loud, all of a sudden, I bet you're now appreciative of your thumb, <laughs> You know, and yet it may not have been an area that you even focus any um, thought to because you just take it for granted. And so what I'm hearing from you is that real recognition of the stuff that we see and that we hear and that we feel every day, but just pausing to to appreciate and to say thank you. Yeah, I think at some point, yeah, exactly. I, I, it's just about saying thank you. And I think at some point in our journey, we got into our ego so deep that our ego doesn't even allow us to do that because the ego is saying, oh, who do you think you are by saying you love yourselves and you love yourself and you love your toes. And, you know, and we get this programming and conditioning that we have a hard time breaking out of because it's societal. And Mm -hmm. then we start to feel that we literally can't appreciate ourselves, which is the most ridiculous thing that can ever be said. We always can take time to love and appreciate ourselves because in reality, if we don't love and appreciate ourselves, we really don't love and appreciate others. That's really the truth. So I think this is like maybe the most important work we can do. Mm. And I wonder if we don't love and appreciate ourselves, then there's still there's a void that's left. And what then happens is that you fill that void by loving and appreciating your outcomes. So you then kind of like get hooked on this cycle of uh, being on that productivity wheel and just going around and around and, and looking for external success and kind of other, you know, I think wider societal measures but you've not really kind of satisfied that, that need within yourself. Yes, exactly. You get addicted to personal development. You get addicted to attachment to results. And what does that lead to? Ultimate disease, ultimate unhappiness. Mm. It really does. Busyness addiction leads to disease. It leads to unhappiness. And that's what I've learned from my mentors. I've, I've been on the earth long enough just to look at and study mentors and myself to already know that lesson. And I'm very grateful that I've already learned that lesson that, because I, I am built like that. I am built, which I believe you probably are too. I'm really built to go hard and I can really accomplish and do everything I can and work 
all into the night and do all these things. And I'm, I'm honestly done with that. I, I'm ready now to really live my divine purpose and do some healing and even have less money to figure out who I really am. What do I really want? And I'm just really grateful that I've already kind of stepped into that so that I can really, with the rest of my time here to spend the time with, what do I really want? What do I really want? Who do I really want to serve? What do I really want to do? And so I've already spent 17 years doing the opposite of that. So I'm, I'm like ready now to really tune into who am I? And that resonates so much. And in, in, I think you're going to love this phrase. Um, I was speaking at a conference a, a few weeks ago. And one of the things that I said was um, rest is an act of resilience and resistance. And rest is an act of resistance because it really goes again, all of those things that we're, that we're told, you know, you've got to be more productive. You've got to know what your motivation is for everything. Every single moment of your day has got to be planned, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think I've done that bit of my life and it served me, but it didn't really serve me in the ways that I would have wanted it to. And I wouldn't encourage anyone to live in that kind of wheel of just push, push, push. Yeah, it's not sustainable. It will last. You could do it for many years, but it's not sustainable. And then you'll come out of it and go, what happened? Who am, like, what did I do? Like, that's what happened to me. And it actually happened in 2020. It actually happened, you know, so that's the beautiful thing about what happened last year was it happened to me in 2020. And when I slowed down, I realized like we had to all slow down, which is, which is why I think it happened. And I'm really like, wow, now I really am clear about where I want to go. Do I know the exact every step? No, that's the great unknown. But today in this moment, I can be in the present moment and actually feel joy. I can actually mm-hmm. feel like what I'm doing does feel right. It is. It does feel right in my mind, in my heart. And, and that's not what I was doing up until 2020. So this is this was the great gift for us to pause. And if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I didn't get the message last year. I'm still running into this crazy rat race. Well, just take the time today after this to get a journal and just start writing down what it is that matters most to me and then start checking that box off and doing those things that matter most. Mm, I love that. And such good advice because you can begin anytime, right? Like <laughs> it doesn't matter when you hear this, you can get going. So, so let me then ask you, what are the things that matter most to you? What are the, uh, well, what matters most to me? Well, what matters the most, most is my divine connection to, to God. That's matters most to me. Mm. Um, and then after that, it would be to honor my, my, myself, which means honoring my child. That's, that's, that is who I am. There's a child in me and honoring that part of myself that just wants to have fun, that wants to have adventure. And there's also the part of me, that's the adult that also wants to have responsibility and send love and be on this podcast. But it's, 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 those are the main things that are most important to me. And then from those places, then I can really get clear on my purpose. I can get clear in my purpose. And then from there, I can start to take actions towards my purpose, which is also what matters most to me. Because if I'm living my purpose, everyone around me benefits. Everyone around me benefits. My mother benefits, my brother benefits, 
the person at the store benefits, the person I, the people I serve benefit, everyone benefits because I'm showing up in a way where I have joy and happiness. I'm showing up in a way that is spreading that vibrational energy to everybody because they know it's real and it's not just made up. And before that, before 2020 or right at the beginning, what I was doing, I was always goal oriented. I was always, I have to have an outcome to be happy. I have to have an outcome to be happy. And you could feel that when you got around me, you'd be like, wow, this guy is really successful, but he's on the go all the time. Mm. And I, there was even a nickname for me back a few years ago. It's called Stressy Jesse. And that's mm. because I was so focused of the outcome and I accomplished it. I did mm. everything. I, I did accomplish it. So I got rewarded for that. And I got, got on that cycle of, oh, I want validation from you. I want validation. I want validation. And so that broke, started to break in 2020 and ultimately smashed into pieces in 2021 to be realizing like, oh, okay, what really matters to me most is, is honoring my connection to, to, to my to divine guidance, to honoring my connection to my heart, which is related to honoring the connection to my child that's inside, to honoring my connection to the people I serve and to live my, to live my, my purpose. And if I do that, then everyone around me benefits. And that's what I've learned by watching mentors, people that I respect and people, I mean, I respect every person, but the people that are, who are living their divine purpose or just their purpose, there's something that's emanating and radiating from them. And some people are on the rat race of like accomplishment, accomplishment, accomplishment. And that's not, I'm not as attracted to anymore. And I was attracted to that. So I'm just trying to get clear and that's what matters most to me is like, who can I learn from that can help me to live that way? Mm, I love that. And I, and I think what I really, really resonate with is that that thing about um, having people around you that, you know, are acting as your guides in some ways that you can see and that are there to support you. So what I, I'd love to know is, is who are your mentors? Who are the people that you're learning from and that, you know, the communities that you're in? You're a mentor. I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's so many mentors. I mean, mentors don't have to be these, you know, amazing individuals that are set for life. It's, it's, it could be a friend. You know, my friends, my friends, some of my mentors, you know, um, we have a mutual friend, John Berghoff. He's definitely from the exchange community. He's definitely a mentor. Uh, there's other members of exchange that are mentors. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, you know, um, Hal Elrod is a mentor from the Miracle Morning series books. Um, you know, there's so many, I, I couldn't even begin. There's, there's many people who are not alive anymore who are my mentors. You know, I, I had a therapist when I was 22 years old, when my life was in the darkest, darkest place it could have been. I had a mentor um, named Bonnie, who was also happened to be my therapist, but she became a mentor of mine for nine years. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, she's no, no longer with us, but th this is someone that's still with me today and still has an effect. And, and she's the reason I became a mental health counselor when I did is because of her mentorship. So, and I've had mentors when I was at Verizon, you know, when I was at Verizon, I, I had mentors there. So everywhere I go, I look for people who are a little bit ahead of me or they don't have to be a little bit ahead. They could just be at a place where they, they have certain aspects and gifts that I don't have. And I let them mentor me into their knowledge. And so, you know, there's so many, I think by the end of my life, I'll have, I'll have uh, thousands of mentors, but you know, I, I think that's the beauty is <clears throat> we can 
start to build uh, that list of like, who are our mentors and how can I add value to them? And that's mm-hmm. what I really try to do is <clears throat> I try to add value to my mentors. And that's what I recommend. If you, if you have people who are alive still is to add value to those mentors. I, I really love how you've described that because um, uh, what what my interpretation of that would be is that um, I I spent a lot of time kind of curating a village around my children, knowing that I am not enough. Me and my husband are not enough to parent my kids. And if we think we are, I think we're naive. And so it's how do we bring together the right kind of people to give them the support that they need and the idea, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And I realized, actually really quite recently, I realized that what I have done even for myself is create that village for me, you know. And that was one of the most powerful kind of... um, understandings that I've had of my support network and so um, I call it support network you know a, a village you call it mentors really it's just kind of like people in our lives that we know that we can ask or are doing something that that is admirable and and you're right in what you say you know it, it's not about age or experience or or anything it's just really my, my kind of take on it is can I learn something from this person and if I can and they're willing to help me and teach me and are happy for me to be part of their lives in some way shape or form then I'm just going to adopt them to join my village inside my head and just be there in the background in some way shape or form yeah that's that's well said I mean I love that yeah it's your village that you've created and and some of them are you know, sometimes mentors um, are people that you've never even met, you know, too. So those people could be in the village as well. And you can, we can learn from their books and we can learn from their documentaries. So I, I love, I love that aspect of, of, of building the village and of, of mentors because it, because your mentors affect other people, just like it's affecting your children. And so it really does matter, I think. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let me ask you, like, cause You've done a huge amount of work on yourself, but there will still be times when you get stuck. What do you do to get unstuck? Well, I mean, getting stuck is is something that is, I think, part of um, everyday life. I, I do believe every day I get stuck at some point of the day. And I think... For each way, depending on what it is, um, you know, I get unstuck. So let's say if I'm like writing my book, let's go back to that. Like if I'm writing my book and I get stuck and I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do right now. I don't know how to, I don't know what to write. I'm not sure what to do. Well, what I would do is I would leave my house and I would go barefoot walking in the forest that's right behind me. And I would just take a walk into the, with the forest. I would just walk around in nature. I just take a walk and I would just not do anything else. I wouldn't listen to music. I wouldn't do anything. I would just take a walk and I would just, you know, just admire the world around me. And then I would come back to the writing and see if anything came to me, or maybe something would come to me during the walk that I can then write and then call it a day. So, so it really depends where I'm stuck. Like if I'm stuck emotionally, 
Um, unless you have a specific example of stuckness. Um, but I, um, I would say, you know, if I'm stuck emotionally, like if I'm stuck in a place where I was triggered by someone, um, you know, I would, I would then take time to look at myself and my own anger and, and ask myself, is this really about them or am I projecting myself towards them? Am I projecting anger or loneliness towards them? Am I projecting unworthiness towards them? Is it my own stuff? And so this is stuff that I would do. And once I have that dialogue with myself, I start to reset. I start to, I start to feel back into my body again. Mm. And I start to realize like, oh my God, it has nothing to do with that. And then all of a sudden I'm free and they're free because they didn't do anything wrong. They're just being themselves. People are just doing the best they can. That's what we have to realize is people around us may not be doing what you want, but they're doing the best they can. And so it's really up to us to manage our own emotions. And so, you know, that's how how I how I actually work through emotional stuckness or being triggered is is I kind of I just look at myself and I ask myself, I'm angry, but am I angry at them or am I angry at myself for not taking loving care of myself? Yeah, it's really interesting that you're you're sharing that because um, uh, a couple of days ago I received an email that I I kind of felt quite triggered about. And, um, and I, as I was discussing it with my husband, he was doing a great job as, as a coach and kind of saying, well, what is it about this? What is it about? And it took me back maybe about 15 years to a meeting that I had had where some of my ideas, all the credit for those ideas was taken by my boss. And I was raging because after it, he was like, and you, and you didn't even speak up. <laughs> Just, and it had I not kind of had that conversation to to discuss why I felt so triggered by that email, I would never have known that. And I couldn't have gone back to do that little bit of healing that was done in really what was like a 10 minute conversation, you know? And so now I can speak about that. And that's something that I've carried in the background somewhere for a while. And, and imagine, you know, that, it was an email that I didn't want to receive that, that kind of resulted in me doing that healing. And, and I suppose the point that I'm trying to make is that sometimes we need help and we need support, but sometimes what we really need to do is just allow some space because we can do that work, but we don't give ourselves enough credit to be able to do it. And we don't make that space to do it. Beautifully said. I love that site. Thank you. And the other thing you were sharing about was kind of going out barefoot walking. And I know that a, a long while back, it seems like now, you were we were having a conversation about kind of like walking barefoot. And, uh, and I think that was another thing that I really connected with you on, because for me, the, the concept of grounding actually is really important and that ability to be able to, to reconnect with nature. And I'm I, it may sound a bit hippie to some of the listeners, but I'm a firm believer in the idea of kind of hugging trees. And so when I used to travel to the US because there's some wonderful trees there or when I go to Scotland and stuff, I always find a tree to hug because it's my way of kind of connecting with the nature there and and really kind of feeling the earth. 
Oh yeah. hundred percent. I'm, I'm really big into it. it. It started in 2020. Once again, it's, I never did it before. And then in 2020, I started to do the barefoot walking and, and I love how you said hugging the trees. And, and that's what I do is I just barefoot walk everywhere. And I, and I, I, we're up in the white mountains here. So I live in New Hampshire. We have the white mountains and I'll actually hike trails barefoot, you know? So it's, it's just really rewarding to be connected to mother earth as I walk. And I feel that rootedness and I really can really appreciate earth and, and, and not have rubber soles blocking me from that. It's just something about mm. it feels really grounding. Yeah. And there, there was actually a really fascinating program that Judy Dench did about trees and about the connection of trees and how the roots, and um, they've done research on it and they say that the roots of all of the trees are actually connected underneath the layer of the, of the crust of the earth. And when I saw that, I was just absolutely blown away. And then just kind of taking that one step further in terms of what you were sharing about going out to to create that space just to listen you know some when we reconnect with nature and there is a time when I would say listen to something on your headphones and there's also a time where you just listen to the sounds of nature and that's where one allows kind of you know you can call it divine intervention or you can call it inspiration or whatever you want but again, it's enabling that space to download stuff that is out there that might not otherwise unpack. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly it. Like by staying stuck in your house, that's why you're stuck a lot of times. You know, get outside, take a walk in nature, you know, take a walk with your family, take walk the dog, whatever you have to do. Yes, absolutely. It's the, there's ideas floating around everywhere and they're just waiting to be grabbed by you. So sometimes there are out there, they're outside. You got to go outside and, and they'll, they'll, they'll download into you. That's, that's the truth. And that's, that's really how I wrote my, I mean, that's the truth. If you want to know how I wrote my first book, that's what I did. I was in nature all the time. I went by rivers and waterfalls and just did everything I could to just be inspired. And, you know, some might say, well, I don't have time for that. I got I'm busy. I have four kids, but it's like, no, you do. You can go out in your backyard and just take your shoes off and ground into the grass and, and get inspired there. So that's all I do every day is I don't go on these huge trail walks into the white mountains. I just go outside and I just put my feet in the grass and I walk around it. And that helps me to recenter myself and get the inspiration. But I think if you've never done it, you can be very skeptical of this too. So I, I would say if anyone's listening, try a 30 day trial of this, do 30 days of, or even seven days of just getting outside and walking in nature and coming back to whatever project you were working on, but taking time to reset outside in nature. Mm. And, and it actually also even means just sitting in your garden for five minutes. Um, I think last week I sent an email out about the concept of rest as resilience and, and resistance. Um, and my encouragement was, you know, when you're in your break and you're working day, just take your drink and go and sit outside. And a, a really wonderful email came back to me and they said that they were in the middle of a, an incredible day, back to back meetings. And when they made their coffee, rather than going up the stairs back to the office, they just went outside for two minutes and it completely transformed the day. So it doesn't take a huge amount of time. It just takes an intention. Exactly. Yes. Let me ask you, um, and, and kind of reflecting a little bit more on 2020, what was the, the biggest surprise lesson that you had from the pandemic? Wow. There's a lot. 
Um, there was a lot of surprises. I think, um, I think the biggest surprise, well, just to, to frame 2020 for me, I wrote my book during 2020. So I spent 10 months writing my book. So I think, I think one of the biggest surprises was, I'll just name a few, I guess one was the power of accountability. Um, I already knew that was very powerful. I have a coaching practice like you for many years. Accountability is important, but I didn't understand that you could use accountability for even writing a book. So mm -hmm. like having someone that I paid just to make sure I did my writing was really, really helpful. So that was a big breakthrough I didn't do on my first book where I actually paid someone that I would check in every two weeks with that was just checking to make sure I did the writing. So that was really helpful. Um, um, I would say other than that, there was, oh man, there's so many. I mean, let's see, I guess one of the big ones was the importance of spending, I'm going to go back to the steam, the importance of spending more time in nature. Like that, that is now something I will never take for granted again. Um, I literally live in, I live in New Hampshire where we have forests and trails all around me and five minutes away is the most amazing trails you can ever imagine. And I never even, and I've been here for a, over a decade and I never went to any of these places. So 2020 really helped me to spend so much time exploring the world around me. So I've learned so much about how amazing just my area is without having to leave because before 2020, I was traveling almost every month. I was going to trainings. I was going mm -hmm. to develop personal development conferences. I was just always on the move. Oh, since I left my job in 2017, I was just always on the move, always on the move. I never realized the beauty that was around me. And 2020 showed me that everything I need is actually around me. And I didn't feel that way until I was really restricted to travel. And I realized that, oh my God, Everything I need is around me. I have rivers and trails and trees and beautiful everything, a forest. And so that's, I guess, one of the biggest things I realized in 2020 is that I don't have to leave. Everything I need is right here at my home. And so I just really appreciate my home now. I really appreciate where I live. And that's probably the greatest gift because now I don't even want to travel right now, which I am a traveler. Like it's in who I am. It's, it's just in me. I'm an adventurer, but I'm realizing I'm just going to take adventures around here for, for even longer. I'm just going to take in local adventures. And then once I'm ready to start to get out there and travel, I will, but I'm really fascinated by what's around me. I love that. And, and especially the kind of the noticing of the beauty that is close by because I think we were stuck in such a rat race that many of us ignored it or we didn't take the time to acknowledge. And even that ability to kind of be in your own home and think, you know what, I quite like this. Whereas, uh, you know, a lot of times we're spending time thinking, you know, you, you want to redecorate or you want to buy something new or do something else. But just so many of those things were taken away because, you know, for example, here in the UK, when lockdown came, like you couldn't even leave your own home except for one hour of exercise. And so the appreciation that you then had when you went outside was just phenomenal. It really was. Um, I'd love to ask you, what advice would your 16 year old self give to you if they saw you now? 
<laughs> my 16 year old give to me now. Um, mm. I like that. It's kind of a reverse of what I would think you'd ask me. Um, wow. My 16 year old self, uh, man, you know, if you said a different age, it might've been easier, but 16, was a troubling time for me. So it's like at that age, I was really, really stuck in depression and anxiety. Um, so I had a very low self-worth. So my 16 year old self would probably look at me today and be like, I'll never be that good. <laughs> probably would say that something about unworthiness. So I think they would be in awe of the person that I am today because they never thought that would be possible because it was just so much, you know, there was just a lot going on in that 16 year old's mind, unfortunately. So I think, you know, that person would look at me and be like, wow, like, is that really going to be me? I don't even believe it. So, um, you know, so I think that's what would have been said. And I think if it was a 10 year old self, it would be like telling me, uh, be more, um, bring more humor into your life. So, mm -hmm. but I didn't have a lot of that going on. It was too, I put in too much pressure on myself. There was too much emotional injuries and, but you know, so the 16 year old would be more, I think in awe of who I've become. Mm, that's amazing. And, um, one of the things that, that I realized about myself in speaking with somebody else earlier on today is, um, you know, when, when you've got a challenge growing up and, and my parents split up when I was seven years old. So when you've got, and I should add, and then not only were we a handful of non-white kids in the school, but then my family was the kid, you know, the only divorced kid or family of divorced kids in the school, which was quite interesting because things are very, very different now. But when that happens, you become very driven. And that for me was a real insight today in realizing that maybe my drive and my push actually is a response to some of those seeds that were planted within me, because it's just easy to focus on your studies because then you can ignore some of the other stuff that's going on around you. Yeah. yeah. That's um, a insight. Yeah, it's. I'm still unpacking it, to be honest. I've. I think I've got a lot more work to do there. But um, I was. I was grateful to to acknowledge and to be able to kind of say out loud that 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 is something that is there. Um, what advice would your twenty one year old self give to you if they met you today? Well, if I'm going to be really honest, my 21 year old self was in the deepest, darkest place of my addiction. So um, once again, I think that person would be looking at me today and being like, there's no way I'm going to become that. There's just no mm -hmm. way, no hope. Because at 21, there wasn't any hope. And what would you tell them? Wow. Well, 21 was right before everything really fell into pieces. Uh, everything fell apart. So I think I would... At that stage, I would tell that person, hey, I got your back. I'm going to come get you. We're going to be together. And I'm going to bring you to get help. And I love you. And I, it's okay, everything that happened to you. I'm going to be here with you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you. And we're going to do this together, buddy. That's so powerful. I mean, it really is. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting chills as you're saying it. 
because there are many people who will be listening to this podcast that even just need, need to hear those words from somebody else and to know that, you know, in one step forward, someone has got their back and that can also be themselves. So, yes. Exactly. Yeah, gosh, that's really, really rich and deep. And it feels flippant to now kind of change and ask you what's your favourite book, but <laughs> but I'm conscious of the time and I am going to do that. So what's your favourite book? Uh, my favourite book. My favourite book of all time or my favourite book this year? Uh, all time. Oh, man. I, oh, man, I don't even know. I, I The favourite favorite book of all time. I mean, you know, when I read the untethered soul the first time, I think that really, it really showed me how I was operating, um, on the level of this voice that keeps talking all the time that sometimes doesn't even need to say anything, but it's always commenting on my experience all the time. I think the untethered soul, um, which happened in the last four years, uh, five years, I think that was a big one to get me into other books that really blew my life wide open. Um, so I don't know the, of all time, oh man, I wasn't a big reader growing up, which is funny because now I just devour books and I love reading. So I, I, I didn't really start reading a lot until in my twenties and then definitely not my thirties. So if we were just going to say a book that kind of opened my eyes and got me into a rabbit hole of other things, cause there's a, there's a great book by Robin Sharma called the a leader who had no title. Mm. That, that book is really profound right before I decided to leave my job. That book I read in like 2015 or 2016. And like, that was a huge seed that was planted for me to leave my job. Cause I realized like, oh my God, this, you can live your purpose as a janitor. You can live your purpose as a hotel maid. You can live your, and I was like, wow. And then it just really, it really showed me that what I was doing was what I was supposed to be doing in that moment. And what I could be doing in the future could be something mm -hmm. also, I don't know. That's what, that's what came to me. Wow, that's pretty good, and uh, and I and I love both of those. Um, so, what are you kind of reading, listening, watching now at the moment? I'm a really big deep diver into stuff. It's my makeup. Like I, I love documentaries, and I just will devour lots of different documentaries, and and so I'm always watching a documentary, um, listening to podcasts, and so I think you know, right now, um, you know, believe it or not, I just read it. I just watched, um, it was one season long. It was a, it was a, it was a documentary about the grateful dead and believe it or not, people are going to hand us like, Oh yeah, I grew up with them. And I was a deadhead. I wasn't at all. I never listened to their music. I didn't even know who Jerry Garcia was. I literally had no, and people are going to be like, how is that possible? But I just had no interest. And then I watched this first, this season, which is on Amazon prime. Um, I forgot the name. I think it's called, um, a long trip. I think the name of the, 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 the documentary is, but watching that, it was really fascinating to just see how things, um, were influenced by the fifties and sixties and how music and how society, and just, it was really beautiful to see that because you obviously, you know, people in my life are, are, are of that age, my mom, and just to see what happened during that time. And so I think just, I just watched that a few days ago. So that's what's top of mind. Oh, I'm going to add that to my list then. And, um, what's something that a lot of people just don't know about you? 
Something. Well, you know, I do barefoot walking every day. So that's something, you know, now after this, cause I would have said that, um, you know, I do cold showers, so I can't say that. Um, what's something that someone done? Hmm, this is stumping me. I guess I don't play a musical instrument, which I, I, I do yearn to play in the future. I would say that what's something that some, probably people don't understand of what I do for a living, actually. I don't think people understand what I actually do for a living. So I actually help people to heal emotional addictions and trauma. So I think people don't understand that I do that professionally. So I always say that a lot of people think that I'm just working with people who are struggling with alcohol and drugs, and that's not who I work with. Those are some of the people I work with, but that's, I really love to go really deep into the emotional addictions and healing. And, and I think some people don't know that because that might sound like it's a really feminine thing to do or like intuition as a fem, but it's really not, it's a balance of the masculine and the feminine. So I guess that's what came to me. And that's, that's something people probably don't know. And, and, and it's interesting because I think, um, sometimes people struggle to articulate what they do, but actually you've done it really, really clearly. And there's been an essence of that that's flowed through this entire conversation. So I think you're clearly doing the work that you were born to do. Um, as we wrap up, one thing that I'm asking everyone is what advice do you have for me? Well, I think I've said this the last time I was on your show is that you are very, this is like what you're doing right now. You are a natural at this. Like, it's so obvious that you could have Russell Brand on this show, that you could have people like that, that are that caliber uh, interviewing you and you interviewing them. So I'm just, I guess if you don't already know this, that the the person that you are in this skill set and the, the, your knowledge base and your the way how how articulate you are with words is a superpower it's very very I, these are things i noticed during the conversation so i realize who i'm working with who i'm talking to when i'm talking to you and i'm really it's bringing the best out of myself so i think if you didn't know that about yourself that i think this is definitely something you should continue to do and, and really continue to do these interviews and do the work you're doing in the world. And I know some of the other work you're doing, but you have this natural ability to um, really shine on interviews and interviewing people. And so I think, I think if that's probably the thing, if I didn't say that before, that I can see. Thank you. And whenever I start to kind of go into that moment of imposter syndrome or, or fear or, you know, think about abandoning this project or whatever, I'm going to come back and I'm going to listen to this again because uh, I, what you've said is a real gift. And I think um, I asked this question actually, because I think sometimes people can see things that I don't see. And it's coming to back to that thing about blind spots and just kind of saying, well, if, if there is a blind spot there and 
you know, the whole Jahari window thing and there's something you can see, but I can't see it. I'd rather you let me know, because for me, you're a trusted friend, someone that I respect a great deal. And in, in some ways, it's within your job description to let me know those things that I can't see so that I can get better. So, Yeah, and I, I appreciate you recognize that in me as a gift that I can give to you. So yeah. it was a blessing on both ends. Absolutely. And what a wonderful kind of place and position to to wrap up uh, this interview. And um, Jesse, I, th- I hope that you're always going to be part of my village because I think there's so much that I um, gain from you. Every interaction that I have with you is a enormous gift for me. Um, personally and as people are listening to this I'm I know that they will have benefited from your enormous wisdom and how generously you shared here what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and to find out more about the work that you're doing I would say the best way is to simply go to my website www.jessieharless.com and just go to the contact tab and send me a message I respond to all messages so send me a message. That's brilliant. And and send Jesse a message and also go and buy his book. So that's going to be my um, kind of like call to action for everyone listening into this. Honestly, Jesse, it's just been tremendous. It really has. Thank you so much. And, uh, and I hope that uh, at some point in the future, you'll come back on and, and we'll have another kind of conversation and some more stuff to unpack as well. So thank you again. Oh, we will. Thank you, Saida. Excellent. That was really good, Jesse. Thank you. Outstanding. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. It certainly is. And you've got a call as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I got to get on a call for another potential podcast that someone said I should be on. So this is like the intake. This is like the call before the podcast to see if it's a good fit. So that's another. another, Yeah. conversation I'm about to have. So yeah, you know, one thing that I realized is that um uh some so so I've been doing some reverse podcasts. I'll, I'll just take a couple of minutes. I've been doing some reverse podcasts where people have said to me that they want to get to know me. So I said to them, I'm doing this podcast. Here's all the questions. Here's the stuff that I'm sending to people that I'm interviewing. You do it however you want to. And um that's been a really interesting experience for me. And one person um, did that I did that with yesterday and they said to me that they searched my name in podcasts and they listened to a little bit of, of all of the ones that I'd done and there's something in there that's quite useful I think just to have your own bank of knowing what podcasts have you been on so that you can you're aware well for me anyway so that I'm aware of what I've said <laughs> so if yeah. someone wants to do that pre-interview type thing you can just send them that list yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's such a brilliant idea. And that's what I, I now on my link tree on my Instagram, I have at the top of it, a podcast interview I did so that if someone wants mm-hmm. to hire me, they just click on that. They'll hear where I am. So that's a beautiful idea. I just started to realize that probably about a month and a half ago. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think you're absolutely right about that. It's like, and another way to get to know me, just like you is to read my book. Right. So if like yeah. someone really is interested in me for $10, they can get to know all about me, which is why we write books. Right. It's for the people yeah. who don't have the money to coach with us one-on-one, but they want to learn more. It's like, here's a $10 item <laughs> and I'll even mail it to you. Like if someone really needs it for free, I will mail it to them. So, you know, it's like, 
I, that's the beauty of books is like, there's no more of this, like, Oh, I, I can't do anything. My situation is impossible. It's like, no, no, it's not mm-hmm. here. Here's my book. Reach out to me after you read it. I'll jump on a call with you. Like, so I don't think people realize that. And I think that's, I didn't realize that. So I know that the people. No, I, I had so many people tell me that and I was resistant to it because I didn't believe it. And then I wrote a book and then I saw what happened. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. Lovely speaking to you. Have a wonderful rest of the day. And I'm sure you are, I'll see you at something or other very, very soon. Of course. Absolutely. All right. Take care. All right. See Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of With Sayada, I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Center for Belonging and Understanding.